Welcome to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.8. Alex, are, are you here? Is, is anyone? Uh, we might be a little understaffed. We have to talk about this. There's really no way around it. I thought about maybe bringing up the World Cup, and then the U.S. did the most imaginable thing ever and gave up a penalty and biffed. People don't want to hear my soccer takes on the air. They probably do. I might end up on an FBI watch list. <laughs> Are you not already? <laughs> but Saturday, Michigan-Ohio State, 11-0, 11-0. The last time this happened was, oh, geez, when I was in, literally in college. So, an interesting thing is... Okay. The 2006 Michigan-Ohio State game... Here we go. ...is one of the first college football games I remember cognitively happening. Did you did you not see the the Vince Young-Reggie Bush So, that ball? one, I think, is the first one. But okay. I didn't watch it. I just knew what was happening. Okay. Because I remember my dad setting the TiVo for it. That's the only memory associated... <laughs> the TiVo? Yes! TiVo has this, made the, the this hockey This was January 2006. I remember him like, oh, I gotta set the tape. This is the biggest... The VCR! <laughs> this is the biggest college football game of the year. And being like, oh, okay. All right. I also think I vaguely have a cognitive memory of the Michigan-Nebraska Alamo Bowl that oh happened gosh. right around that time. How lucky are you? Because uh, I think that was going on the same night as Drain Family Christmas. And like, I kind of remember <laughs> someone turning it off so we could open the presents. Wow. But some scheduling errors there. Well, or maybe a positive <laughs> schedule, in some yeah. ways, yeah. So then, and then the other one is the Michigan Ball State game in 2006, which was <laughs> my first Michigan football games. game. Wow. That so, you went to? Yes. Wow. And that was like the week before, right? Or the week, two weeks before the Ohio State game? Um, It was two weeks, yes. Two weeks, okay. So those are like the ones, but the, that little run up to the 06 Ohio State game, those okay. are like the first college football games I cognitively remember happening. So this is the first time since then. And, and I, also, the other thing about uh-oh. 06, of course, is Bo dies the day before, right? And my memory of that is, so I was sitting in the playroom in my house. <laughs> my mom walked in, and she was like, something really sad happened today. And I was okay. like, okay. And she was like, Bo, <laughs> Your she- emotions are just level. <laughs> Whatever. And she was I, like, Don't knock over the blocks. And she was like, Bo Schembechler died. And I was like, Who's Bo Schembechler? Well, you were seven. <laughs> Six? Seven? Yeah, yeah. Uh, seven. So yeah. that that's my memory of that. And then the other thing I really remember about the 06 game is it started at 3.30 for some reason. It did. It's which the is the only one. Only ever. one that I can, probably the only one ever. And my memory, I think, is that we that we went over to my cousin's house to watch it. Uh-huh. But I don't remember watching it. I think I was but upstairs. Because I became a college football fan the next year. 07 was a great year the first to year I was a college, college football, football fan. fan. Well, but, well, the, but your family wasn't Michigan fans then. Well, extended family were. Oh, but. okay. So... So it's been a long time. That's you, the that's the story. You and I were both on the MGO preview podcast for schedules and all of that, and we talked about our predicted records. And I remember saying that Michigan was going to go eleven and one, and Brian was like, "Well, in what capacity?" And I said, "Okay, if they go undefeated, they lose in Columbus. If they lose, then they win in Columbus." What did you say? I've been eleven and one with a loss to Ohio State all year. 
Okay, so you... I've been on that train I mean, for you, a long time. We talked about it all and, winter, spring, summer, and I'm like, Alex, who's going to beat him? I, who's going to beat him this year? So I think that I, I was on that train from the beginning, and my, I think I was one of only two panelists in HTTV <laughs> who <laughs> predicted 11 on one, by the way. Uh, I mean, yeah. Most, I hope you're wrong. All, all the other people were doing the big brain Bill Connolly thing. Where they like, lose one random game. Where they lose one random game. Because if you do the probabilities and probabilistically they have an 80% chance of winning all these games, then probably they'll lose one of them because well, one in five chance, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know how probability works. They, I'm one of a few people who do, but they, <laughs> <laughs> I was not buying it this year. They almost did. <laughs> they almost did. And that is why okay. we learned this weekend that it's actually not that easy to go 12 and 0. And that there are going to be games where you encounter uh, a bad matchup or you have injuries or you're sleepy or whatever. It's actually, you know, yeah. unless you're Boise State and even Boise State, not that easy to go 12-0. and 0. No, because they, they actually play a non-conference schedule. Yeah. So the, the point being, we learned this weekend with Ohio State in a dicey battle with Georgia in a kind of nasty game. Yep. Um, TCU. TCU <laughs> in a very interesting game. Michigan yeah. in a very interesting game. It's not easy to go 12-0. and 0. No. And that's partially why even on the MGO podcast, we just, no one was like A, concerned, and B, was just like, sweet, we won. I mean, there are concerns that you could extrapolate in ways, but you're not like, oh, this team is bad because... Did you relay my hot take? In the hot take segment, I haven't listened to it. Yet. I wasn't in the hot take segment oh, okay. because it was recorded later. My hot take was going to be that the SEC has it right about SEC Esta, where okay, you just take firm in the second exactly. Last week. And like yeah. now, I look you look at it and you're like, okay, for so many years I was like, no, that's dumb. And now, oh, Michigan actually has a chance to win a playoff game. Maybe um, okay, I subscribe. Clat was going nuclear on the SEC about that during the USC UCLA game. Whatever, they, but. I mean, I don't know. My hot take was, and I tweeted this, but uh, that playing Illinois was good for Michigan and playing that game was good and that they needed uh, to play a competitive game because well, the thing about last year was by the time you even got to November, they'd already been in a lot of memorable games that had tested them in different ways. They yeah. had the Rutgers scare. And they had the uh, Wisconsin game that was largely a sale, but you had that little bit before halftime where it was kind of like, Arr! But that's... And then they, they figured it out. Then they played the Nebraska game that was very dicey. Yeah. They'd gotten punched in the mouth against MSU. Then, a few weeks later, in November, the Penn, Penn State, State game. game. Like, where they're leading by the time the, yeah. they got to this point in the season, they had been in plenty of sort of backs-against-the-wall moments. And they hadn't been in any before uh, Saturday. But that's not true. They've had the entire... All of their first halves were like that. Yeah, but that's a different... Being like tied at halftime is not the same as being down uh, in the fourth quarter while you don't have the ball. Like that was an and, actually dicey situation, you, you much can't. the way Nebraska and Penn State and Michigan State were last okay, year. Okay, I see that. So is the loser in the playoff? I'm not sure about that. I think if Ohio State loses, they probably are. Even though that it's like a better loss for Michigan Correct. if they lose. because they're on their own. Which means it's not really about... It's Your resume, about, it's about... It, I, I mean, I, I am kind slightly of like, paranoid about the non-conference schedule thing. Wait, um, but isn't that stupid, though? So, everyone knows my stance on non-conference schedules by this point. Yeah, I know. Now, what I said was that you should play an easier non-conference. Yes. Not 
A dead non-conference. The <laughs> <laughs> games that you have a very high probability. Of Not winning. Lindenwood three year three yeah, series. Yeah. In a row. So I I wanted something slightly tougher. But at the same time, I have been the team from the very beginning. I have been on team. I want to make the playoff if I beat Ohio State. Yeah. I am not I, I don't want to design the non-conference schedule so I can back in if I lose the game. Right? Like I, I understand the idea of wanting to go to the playoff because you've had a great season and all that stuff, but like at the same time, like I just want to beat Ohio State and then have that get me into the playoff. Well, and and if, I don't I don't want to schedule my schedule assuming a loss to Ohio State. That's like, loser energy. In in like two years it's gonna be it's gonna be relevant. relevant right. Because so none everyone's of this gonna be in. I mean, that will be the one plus of the 12-team playoff is that then you can actually have an incentive to schedule non-conference again. Do you think then when, when each of us have grandkids, it'll be a 64-team tournament? And by the way, what has... <laughs> what has <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that round of 64 yeah. Alabama-Eastern Michigan game is going to be really exciting. <laughs> the auto-bid conference. Hopefully it's a coin flip and, they, and Alabama... Loses it and has to play at Ypsilanti. <laughs> uh, but uh, my non-conference takes were vindicated by the fact that Oregon should never have played that Georgia game. You yeah. know how much better of a position they'd be in for the playoff if they'd never played that game? It's true. Yeah, it takes the fun out of college football in some ways, but it's probably better for your specific program. So I think that, I don't know. You're right. There's like six teams. I still think that. In the end, I mean, why do you think Ohio State got in a few years ago? Because of their brand, right? Like in the 2014, went the Baylor TCU. That was not a few years ago. That was like 10 years ago. It was like eight years ago. I know that it eight was, is closer to 10. It's about it half your life, few. but still. The first playoff. I watched an interview with Paul McCartney one time, and he said, this was like in 2018, and they asked him when he got knighted by the Queen. And he was like, oh, it was a few years ago. It was 1997. It was 21 <laughs> years earlier. And he said it was a few years ago. That's, uh... But, no, remember the thing with the Ohio State year in 2014 was they just started beating everyone like sure. crazy. Remember, yeah. like, they ran up the score With on their backup quarterback. Wisconsin, was it? Or was yeah. it Nebraska? One of those teams. It was Wisconsin. In the uh, Big Ten title game. So I understood the argument, even though I thought TCU got robbed. But that's why I kind of want TCU in this year. I want TCU, Justice. and if Michigan is the two. I would be very happy about that. All right. People are probably complaining that we're not talking about hockey yet. Um, but if we talk about it for the next 10 or 15 minutes, people will probably complain that we talked about <laughs> hockey. Um, I mean, there, there should not have been hockey this weekend. Let's just get that out of well, the way first. Yes. I... So the team is sick with a... So you get we get there. We get this like little blurb. That is, Michigan might be shorthanded this weekend. And I was like, great. Sort of like two years ago when they faced Minnesota with their entire team at the World Juniors. And then you get a shot of the lineup <laughs> and you're just like, is that Tyler Shea, the third string goalie on the fourth line? <laughs> I later found out that weekend that he has never played out at any level a, you know, at a competitive level in his life. Like, maybe when he's, like, I don't know, what do you call it? Like, midgets or something? Yeah. Or mites Squirt, or squirts? I don't know. But, so maybe at that level where you have to rotate. But once you actually get yeah, once you... onto teams where there are positions, he, I, that's what I've well, heard. Well, that's is... the nature about goaltending is that, like, essentially you are in a different sport. Yeah. And that, like, they don't practice with the other players, it's really. Like, it's like pitchers. And the other players don't know what's going on with the goalies. And they're like, not allowed to talk to them. Yeah, they're somewhere over, over there. The they have their own coach. And there like, needs to be an investigation. It's a different thing. Yeah. 
Okay. So in game one, there's no Adam Fantilli. There's no Nolan Moyle. There's no uh, Jacob Truscott. And there's no TJ Hughes. So you're just like, well, um, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we did the Minnesota preview. We had Nate on. We're just talking about future NHL or after future NHL. And it's not that Michigan doesn't have some of those because they do. But, like, Fantilli is such a big piece on this team, not just because he scores points, but he's really their only creator in the offensive end. One of them. I mean... Minimum only a couple. That line has... I mean, we watched the series. Duke isn't really a creator. He's a finisher, as we'll get to. And Sam is a shooter, and he has some moves he can take a guy one-on-one. But Fantilli is the guy that sort of pulls the strings on getting people to puck. Yeah. Um, and the power play, which actually was okay on the weekend. But Yeah, I mean, it's a big loss, no question. And it's a big loss just for the sport because this was supposed to be, you know, Cooley versus Vantilly Showcase. Yeah. Um, it ended up being, for one of the games, zero against zero. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, it was just kind of a bummer the way that all played out. So but then... You have a super shorthanded team. You have a sort of general off the ice concern about one of the players who is in a sort of serious medical situation. Right. Um, that's a situation where someone needs to get involved and figure out how to postpone that. Because I mean, and the Western situation from last year had to have played into this. No right? question. No question. Like if the, had they played that game last year, I think it probably this series probably I is probably yeah punted. Maybe. Yep. Uh, but the problem then is Michigan probably forfeits both games. Well, they <laughs> they sort of forfeited anyway. I mean, right? Like, okay. That's the thing yeah. about saying, well, you, what do you forfeit? I mean, okay, they played right. the game so, out and they lost both and neither were. I mean, one of them we'll get to should have been better than it was, but both were multi-goal losses. It wasn't like they were hanging on a, a string. So we talked about Michigan does have other players. What do you need in this series? You and I have, the, have had this conversation for a long time. You need your next best players to be now your best players. Yep. You need Luke Hughes to be a Hobie Baker finalist. You need Eric Portillo to be, you know, the goalie of the year. You need Mackie Samoskevich to be driving that line and creating opportunities and chances and probably scoring goals or at least putting Duke in positions to score goals. Um, and none of that really happened all weekend. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So, I mean, they didn't, certainly from the, the goaltending perspective in the second game in particular, in the second game, they yeah. did not get what they needed to. So the first thing that I want to say is that it, it does seem to take a turn for the better for Michigan because uh, Justin Close doesn't even come on the ice in the first game. Yeah, he was not dressed and uh, they're, in the second game. He was not dressed in either game. Okay. I just know the second one because I was sitting right by the bench. Oh, I see. Yeah. No, so he wasn't even on the on the lineup card in the first game. So we, you said that you, you looked a little bit into, I think it's Bart, Barto Skewich. I called him Bardo because there's there's no way I'm, not Stephen Bardo, but like <laughs> but Barto, because there's no way I'm tweeting that every single time. His numbers were bleak heading into the game. He's not very good. And we kind of, I mean, he didn't have a great weekend against... Michigan's B team. Yeah, okay. I mean, I thought he played... He played okay. Better than Portillo. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
so the first game starts, and you know Michigan doesn't really get a shot for a while. They look like they're kind of playing timidly, and then Rhett Pitlick comes down the left wing and fires a shot over the shoulder. It's a good shot, but it's also a shot that, like, sorry, your third-round drafted goalie needs to keep out if he has NHL ambitions, right? Yeah, it's it's one... You know, Two things can be true, right? It can be a good shot and also one that you want the goalie to stop. It's yeah. perspectives if you're the coach of each team. Sure. So it's one nothing, and you're like, well, there goes like the whole hang on for dear life and see what you can scratch out idea, especially considering the fact that, you know, Michigan's just not doing a whole lot. About halfway through the first, I had a note that shots were 10 to 2 Minnesota. Um, you know, Michigan gets a power play. They get a couple. They get a really good chance, but then they also give away a three on one for Minnesota. And he, Luke Hughes, actually came back and made a nice play on on defense. Portillo made a save, and they kind of get away with it. Um, and then um, Minnesota takes another penalty. It's Middlestat again. That's his second penalty. And on this one, Michigan has a great, uh, like basically double Royal Road pass where. Casey hits Rutger from one side to the other, and then the pass is returned to Duke, and he just dunks it in back post, and all of a sudden it's one-to-one, and you're kind of like, wow, we just got outplayed, gave up the first goal, did everything kind of like what you we couldn't do, and we're ending the first period 1-1. I mean, it's a power play goal, but still. Yeah, no, I mean, it felt like, okay, 1-1, we'll see if, if they can continue and just get good goaltending the rest of the way. I mean, there's always chances that you can scrap out wins if you just get the one nice play here or there and you get good goaltending overall and that's all you need. Yeah. Uh, in the second period, you know, there's still some struggles for Michigan They're They can't, they're struggling to get the puck out. They just don't have the same, like I said, you know, you're down so many players, you don't really have full lines. So, you know, guys are jumping around, playing on different lines. Nothing is really coherent, but um, it's sort of like a like a beer league game, right? Where you just have X number of skaters and you jump out if you're fresh and you, you you mix in. And that's, you know, fine for those levels. But, you know, generally speaking, that's not going to get it done against a bunch of probable future NHLers. Um, and, and that's when Michigan takes a penalty. So Minnesota's on the power play and shorthanded... Eric Ciccolini comes flying down the right wing on a semi-breakaway, kind of. He's not going to get all the way to the goal, but he's not going to be really checked if he shoots from the dot. And he pulls up and fires a shot, and it's saved. And then Logan Cooley hits him in the back, square in the back. He goes flying face-first into the boards and just gets slammed in one of the worst hits I've ever seen live. Yeah, it was a real dangerous play. Uh, those, I think that... If you're coming up with the top three worst hits, they are, in some order, the neon knee, which we've discussed previously. Okay. The cross check to the to the back when the player is standing face first into the boards. Yeah. Right when they're right next to the boards and just boom, they go face first in. And then there's that one where it's the tap in the back that loses the balance and then causes the high speed collision and into he, the into the end board. And he didn't get up. Like he no. was down for a while. Um. He, he ended up coming back in the game a little bit and then ended up in the press box. And I looked down on it and I was like, oh, that looks like Ciccolini. And he's got a huge bandage on his head. And, you know, it looked bad. And then he did not play the next night. And yep. so Cooley gets a five-minute major, which was right. And he does 
but he doesn't and he so he skates back to the locker room leaves the ice and then comes back on and goes to the penalty box and people are like going crazy because you're like well what well, what happened? They, they didn't announce a game misconduct, and they had to go fetch him and tell him. Because he thought he did, because right. he's like, well, I'm done for the next half a year. And then they're like, no, 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 it's okay. You're fine. Until the next night when we might suspend you. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, but what the Big Ten refereeing situation is a major problem, and it has yeah. been. We've gone over this many times. It's, uh, you know, beating a many years deceased horse at this point. <laughs> and uh, so it doesn't, we don't need to go into it further, but the way that was handled was definitely extremely embarrassing from the league and uh, the referees on the ice and the whole situation. So this is where the game sort of changes because it's, you have a four on four, which actually in these situations probably is fine with Michigan because they can pick their four and put them out there and you don't have to roll as many players in lines and you can match up to Minnesota, who is going to have get to pick theirs, and and then you can sort of decide. And um, they have about fifty seconds or so to kill off, and then they're going to get a four minute power play, and an all you can eat one. Meaning, you know, they already scored earlier. If they get if they get two, which is not probably probable, but it's possible when you have a power play for four minutes. I mean, all of a sudden now you're in a position where. You know, if we play good defense and hang on, we could still give up a goal. Portillo plays well, and you could steal this game. And Mackie Samuskevich gets beat on the boards, starts cutting in towards the net. Um, I don't even know who the other defenseman was, but the left defenseman comes over to play him. And then Hughes is playing on the right, and Hughes also comes over to play him into the middle. The pass gets through to the backside, and Pitlick has a second goal on a, just a slam dunk. And... I mean, you just that just can't happen. Like Portillo has zero chance. It's it's given the context of the situation, you cannot have a breakdown like that there. So this is kind of what I have been focusing in more on more with Michigan for the first half of this season, and it will come up again in one of the goals in the next game. But Michigan has a major problem with turning slightly threatening situations into five alarm fires. <laughs> Where they have problems where one guy gets beat and it turns into four guys getting beat. And that, you know, when the, the Mike Kester slips by Samuskevich and is coming down the wing, that is inherently not a threatening situation. You've got two defenders in the middle. You've got yep. a goalie on the near post. That should not turn into anything. I mean, again, it's it. yes, a guy got beat, but you're in a fine position to shut it off and have nothing notable happen. Because the guy who got beat was not one of the defensemen. No, he was high. Right. And so, yes, the guy got past him. He's coming down the wall, but you're in totally good position there. And way too often, <laughs> that then turns into a disaster. And in this situation, neither defenseman does anything. It's what we talked about in years past with the old uh, traffic cone situation where they're just passing through the wickets. The sticks are not being used to break up the pass. And there's nothing Portillo can do. He has to take the near post. So, But in that situation, like, Hughes can't leave the guy, right? Right. And also, the other defenseman can't let the pass through. And if Hughes sure. is going to come over, he sure as hell can't let the pass come through, right? If you're not going to take the right. far guy, that's... I mean, it's, that just can't happen. And it's, it's, again, this kind of chronic problem where issues go from slightly unnerving to a certain goal in the span of a couple seconds. And it happens too often. It's like, especially for a team that has decent possession numbers, they don't get hemmed in very much. 
they don't even allow like a ton of breakaways in these last few games. Like they did mm-hmm. earlier in the year, but like right now the defense for most of the game is fine, but it they just produce way too many certain goals from things that shouldn't be. It's like when you're going to punt and they rough your punter and that puts you in borderline field goal range. You're like, okay, this is probably going to be a scoring drive. And then you throw a pick six <laughs> and you're like, well, we were right there we should have at least had a field goal we have a decent chance you have four minutes of power play to get a goal which you know they do later on on the power play again and then all of a sudden now the other team is like returning for a touchdown and and you're like well where what happened and it was such a big turning point you have four on four goal right when you're about to get the long power it just (laughs) and you could just feel like the energy the air come out of everywhere and it was just it's whatever the opposite of the doctor ordered is (laughs) (laughs) so they get that. So Minnesota goes up two to one, and then um, Michigan gets this long power play. That deeper into that power play, they do get one with like I think it was like a, a minute left or something in it. And um, but Michigan does capitalize at least once on or the once on this power play um, for a <laughs> a baseball goal for Dylan Duke, who whacks the puck out of the air as he just, I mean, all of his goals were scored, what, within a few feet if or inches of the crease all weekend. And he, but he's just positioning himself, gets the puck up in the air, whacks it. Uh, Bardo gets sort of off of his goal line and there's a little bit of space and it's, and he just um, slams it in. Yeah, it was, um, it was just another good weekend for him, and it's been a nice season doing what he does. That's kind of his office at this point. Yep. But it doesn't last very long because um, I, this was a well, – this, this was the extra attacker goal. Uh, maybe, maybe that was the next night. That but, was the next but night. But Portillo leaves a, a rebound in front of him, and it's it's just – put away it was snuggerud and cooley there were a lot of guys in front of the net it was a high traffic play and uh one of them snuggerud is just in the right position and he yeah and i think cooley's the guy that shoots it and and like this you know i i don't think that michigan was the better team i don't think michigan's probably gonna win the game but cooley gets an assist later he gets a goal and you're just kind of like you shouldn't be in the game yeah but he is and it plays a role in changing it doesn't change michigan's breakdowns doesn't mean doesn't you know, change Portillo's rebound or Hughes's failure on the defensive end, but it sort of is salt in the wound then, where it's like, oh look, that guy, <laughs> and it's so it's three to two then, and you're going into the third period then, and it's just like, well, we're kind of in it. I don't know. We've used to, we've gotten two power play goals. Can they get three in a game? They're not really threatening from a dangerous standpoint on the on on an even strength, but. You're still within a goal coming out, right? Yeah. They do take a penalty, though. Yeah, that's the. This Before, is kind of when the game bef- turns again. It gets weird. Um, they take a penalty in at the end of the second period, but they get through a portion of it. And then. So Minnesota's going to start the third on the power play, and they just don't come out of the locker room. <laughs> so the the countdown clock on Yost for between periods hits zero. And I mean, Peter, the guy next to me is like, uh, are they just not playing the third or, and you look over and you're like, well, Minnesota skated around. Now they're on their bench and 
the Michigan north half of the ice is completely empty. So the ref has to go back into the locker room and see if Michigan was, I don't know, kidnapped by aliens? I mean, in fairness, compared to what happened in the third period, they might have been just better off not playing the third period. <laughs> so they... Uh, they're, they're given a protocol penalty, which it's sort of like those technical fouls for wearing the wrong socks in basketball or something. Or I mean, it, I don't think anyone had ever seen that before. It was I like hadn't. when they had the one-point safety in the <laughs> Fiesta Bowl where the ref has to start the call with, we have an obscure ruling. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Michi- so this is like the second, like you mentioned, bad turning point where now Michigan is uh, on the verge of killing off a five-on-four. It becomes a four-on-three. I'm sorry, not a four on three, a five on three. And Minnesota scores pretty quickly on that. A good shot, um, Cooley, of course. And it was another one that Portillo maybe, again, to win this sort of game, you need him to make a save on one of these. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was. was, This was teed up from a bit outside. It was in the house, wasn't it? It was a bit bit higher than the dot. Um, It was like at the edge of the faceoff circle. The thing of note on this, though, is that Tyler Shea is the guy that serves the penalty for Michigan. And so there is like, you know, the game at this point, it's not over, but you're thinking, all right, they're not getting two more just with the way that everything has gone. So the thing is, is can they kill off this penalty so that Tyler Shea actually has to skate back to the bench while play is going on instead of just getting it skate back when, you know, between between a dead period and he does they do and so tyler shea gets on the ice in his frank nazar 91 jersey and gets to go back to the bench i was rooting for him to go into the play and play some defense and um that did not happen the other thing that i think should be (laughs) mentioned about this and that brings this up is that the ciccolini hit was a problem and this weekend more than any other weekend yeah because then you lose another player yeah when you all like it Especially for that night. You don't know what's going to happen the, the following right. day. But now you're down to, what, they're down to 10 forwards. And they, they moved Karen in up from defense. Okay, but it's still Jake Karen in playing defense, who's, you know, a marginal fourth liner. And now he's, like, on your second line or your scoring line. It's like, well, this is only ending one way. Um, so Minnesota adds another one on the power play later. Uh, one-timer that beats Portillo. Uh, it's 5-2, to two, and that's pretty much when I started writing. What's What's all the things, like... The tweets that used to go out, like, game's over, starting writing or something. Hashtag start writing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, not fun, not great. But, again, Michigan's kind of in it halfway through the game, even despite... It wasn't the worst showing of all time. No, because I think that, like, they played... O- they played... O- <laughs> this is the thing that you always say. They played okay until they didn't. <laughs> right? And it wasn't like it was just, this is just the worst defense we've seen. I think it was a combination of a few things. You needed Portillo to keep out one or two of those goals, ideally at least one. Yeah. And then you needed to not take that penalty that causes the five-on-three, right? If Portillo doesn't give up the first one, and then you don't give up the fourth one on the five-on-three because you're never on a five-on-three because you come out of the locker room on On time. time. (laughs) Like you have since Michigan hockey began. Then it's 2-2 in the third period. And that's how you would have needed to be competitive in this game. And, and there even were, getting, like, points in the game. And there like were too win. many issues <laughs> that popped up for that to happen. So 5-2 final, um, and you're just kind of like, well, 
we'll see if anyone's better tomorrow because if they're not, it's not going to be too dissimilar to this. So in game two, there's still no Fantilli and TJ Hughes, which was like, okay. But I was there as a fan. Yeah. That's the important note to this game. (laughs) Well, it's better than most of the other notes I've taken. (laughs) Did you enjoy your fan experience? How were your seats? Uh, They were pretty good. That's good. Um, Yeah, it was. Did you enjoy the food? I didn't have much of the you food. You didn't get the blueberry barbecue sauce? Uh, no, no. I I had to, I had eaten at a late lunch that day. I see. So I did not have, have any. I had the brownies, I think. Oh, the, brownies are pretty in good. The, in the section I was in. But so you could see clearly? Yeah, the seats were right above the children. <laughs> the uh, children. Yost. So, Yost yes. all, and all his children. Yeah, so I, yeah, I was over on that, that end of the ice. But it was, it, it's a good reminder of how close you are to the action in college hockey, yeah. right? Relative to an NHL arena and also relative to the press box because that's where I've spent any games at Yost for the last five years. Well, you got hit by a blimp on that one game. Right? Where they look like an ant, basically. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's a nice little perspective change, I guess, but I will say that after the Thursday game, when I was offered the tickets, I was kind of like, like when we used to offer our season tickets in the Millen era to fan <laughs> Lions tickets, right? Like, uh, well, they're free, but free for what? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, it was, the funny thing is it felt less competitive in the, in the nature of the game because they were not tied in the middle second period yeah. in the Friday game. However, they played much better. So, yes, kind of odd in that way. So, no Fantilli, no TJ Hughes. Now, no LaPointe because at this point, it has gotten him. And no Ciccolini because of the previous night. Minnesota has no Cooley because they go back and suspend him. Two hours before the game. Was that when it was? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and then, and still no close. So you're like, well, maybe, maybe Barto faces the wrong way for two periods, and you know, and then they get Moyle and Truscott back, and you know, Truscott coming back, I think, is definitely big. But um, so we see. Dres- I mean, Moyle was more important because he was a forward. Well, and he that's was where a- you were particularly short. Right, but in this game, you 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 need guys to play defense. Sure. Um, and we so we saw Druskinis and and Luca Fantilli, uh, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit more later. But I mean, both were fine, if not good, in probably not the most featured of roles. But I mean, Druskinis hadn't played yet, and Luca was sort of you know in that three or four man rotation of like, well, who's going to be on the bottom pair? And now I'm kind of like, eh, might as well give him a shot, I guess. I thought that Druskinis had a had a very nice game. Yeah. Luca, uh, not as much. We've seen what he is. Yeah, he's just he is what he is right now. You're um, not. You you think it's not a not a good thing? He's okay, but well, I, I'll I, tell you what. There are times when okay defense is like a well, step so up. So I at this thought point. that Druskinis in particular, right? He adds a bigger dimension. He adds a more defense first dimension. Whereas, right, Luca's a more similar player to a lot of the players yeah. they have already. Is the smaller puck moving puck defenseman? Movers. You know. I, I've wanted Michigan to have a few more bigger boys on the defense. Bigger boys. to the – Michigan just has, in my opinion, has had a, a little too much of what I would describe as flimsy defensemen, mm-hmm. as in where, like, they can get hit and be knocked off the puck. Blankenbergy. Um, sure. And they have their upsides, but I think that they've needed that extra dimension, and Juskinis offers a bigger size, and he had a really nice play on a two-on-one that just yeah. broke it up right in front of me, and I was like, wow, that might be the best rush defense play I've seen Michigan make all season. And From a guy who hasn't played, played all right. year. So that it, it definitely piqued my interest. I'm curious to see him play some more. 
Well, we will see on that. This was a much better start for Michigan. Uh, they actually take the shots lead 6-1 to one pretty early. Um, well, they got a power play. Yep, and didn't do Did anything, ton. but they had plenty of looks. True. Um, and then Jackson Lacombe kind of does one of those swooping across from one side to the other down the left wing again and fired from outside the dot and beat Portillo short side and high. Not too dissimilar from the Rhett Pitlick. Yeah, it was a replay of the first goal from. And the then prior you're just night. like these, these, these can't go in, man. They're, they just you're not going to be a team like Minnesota with a shorthanded lineup if that goal's going in. I mean, you're not winning a lot of games if these are the goals you're giving up. Well, you might be Lindenwood. Hmm. All right. And then you know this is the next turning point, right? Is so Michigan has the good start, they give up a bad goal, and then they have a th- what is sort of like a mixed three on three rush. It's not a definitive rush, but guys are kind of weaving in and out. And Nolan Moyle misses a guy, misses the puck, and then Luke Hughes steps up to make a play and whiffs it badly, too. And then Truscott has to go to the boards because the guy who's gotten by, who has the puck now, beyond Moyle and Luke Hughes, he has to close him down because he's got to play the puck. And he gets there, but the the pass does get through, and now you have, like, a two-on-o. I think it was, was it Snuggerud and, or Nyes and Pitlick, maybe? And it's just a quick pass, and, and you have a goal. Because a 2-on-0 should be a goal what? like Most of the time. 90% of the time. And it was. And now it's 2 to nothing off of the two things that you can't have. One, a bad goal from the defense, and then two, a, a, just a whiff by the goalie. Like, if they put together a really nice play and they beat you, okay, fine. Or it takes a weird bounce. But these were both preventable. So you have Hughes with a pinch in the neutral zone that I would prefer him to fall back on and not pinch. Yeah. That it's kind of like there's a goalie going for the poke check on the breakaway. It is the definition of a do-or-die play. If you miss, then you're in huge trouble. And if you make it, you shut it down. And he goes for the pinch. It's a risky, risky decision. I, again, would prefer him to fall back and and just play with a wider gap and and just try and push play to the outside and let the entry come in. But instead, he goes for the pinch to break up the entry. Unsuccessful. Then the play comes in further. Truscott needs to go over there, and he's the last line of defense. Also unsuccessful. And it creates the the two-on-zero. I mean, Truscott's in a bad situation. He's in a bad situation, but in in that situation, he does need to take away the pass or else it's yeah. it's in the net and he doesn't take away the pass he again uh Hughes in my opinion should have fallen back and given Triscott more help but you get hung out to dry by your partner now you've got to make the play yourself and he doesn't make the play and from there it's it's a two on o deep it's the thing you said the a week or two ago where I mean that's another example of the not inherently dangerous situation turning into a five alarm fire because everyone hits the panic button and does the wrong thing. Yeah. Yep. Luke, uh, Luke Hughes then takes a cross check in the beginning of the second period, uh doesn't at help anything. Minnesota gets a power play and they just Snuggerud from the corner hits Nelson in front for a tip-in goal. Druskinis and, and Pearson really not checking anyone, um, and it's 3 nothing. You know, I was talking a little bit to a guy in the box, and, and he wrote a little bit about this, but it looked like Michigan's penalty kill is more of a not really manning up on people near the net, but is sort of trying to take away shots and pass, and like, I guess it's called puck fronting. I'm not overly familiar with it, but... Um, 
it happened enough times to where there is somebody sitting in front of the net on a power play unchecked, and that seems um, bad. It's the hockey equivalent of when you play in a trap in basketball, where if you're going to trap somebody and then they make the pass out of it, it often leads to a dunk or a layup because you don't have the numbers down to defend the hoop, right? And so the so so you play have on that... this play a guy behind the net. You send both defensemen to essentially trap him like you would in basketball. He makes the pass out of it, and then it goes just across to one guy, and then boom, right in front for the tapping, because neither of those guys who went to trap the player behind so the it's net ag- are back in time. So it's aggressive. It's Yeah, it's aggressive. It's Michigan's penalty kill is creaky, but it's creaky in the exact opposite way that Michigan's penalty kill under Mel was really bad the first year, right? Mel on the first year, they weren't super aggressive. They just let the opponent shoot 40 times in a two-minute power play. Eventually, one's going to go in. in, right? Yeah. And then this is the exact opposite. Instead of just trying to stand in front of the net and, and let it be a firing gallery, they're putting pressure on the puck all over. And then if you let one pass get out, you're in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem that got fixed last year as the year sort of went on was that Michigan's defense got better. And so these things get better because defense and penalty kills are generally pretty tied. And Michigan's defense... In general, I think has been all right more lately, but their breakdowns tend to lead to goals. And again, this was another example of it. So it's 3 nothing. It's not over, but it kind of feels over. And uh, Michigan does get a goal back. You Duke gets a rebound jam like right near the post. Um, they had to review it, but he was, he did not kick it in. He used his stick. The puck went in he didn't the net didn't come off um it's three to one which was nice and it was sort of like a nice moment for duke because you're like hey you know someone showed up to play offense this weekend (laughs) and it's so it's three to one you know maybe if you get a bounce or two but then basically the same thing happens for minnesota where cal thomas is able to jam in a rebound from a nice shot a pretty big rebound from Portillo. That, that he, was the six on five goal. That was yeah, the the extra attacker goal where where then they actually get a power play afterwards, right? Yeah, it's such a terrible rule. Yeah, um, but it's then it's four to one going on to the power play. Um, they Mich- Minnesota doesn't really score, doesn't score, so Michigan survives that, but it's still four to one, and then sort of it just this was symbolic of the entire weekend for Michigan hockey where Rutger comes out of the box and it leads to him and Brindley having a three on two as the as the clock is ticking down he passes over to Brindley Brindley draws in the defender from on Rutger's side Brindley returns the pass Rutger takes the shot and buries it in the corner of the net like a tenth of a second after the second period ends. Otherwise, it's three to two, and then it, the third period has a bit of a different feel. Um, but or four to two, I should say. But it doesn't count, and you're just like, well, that's fitting. It's four to one, and the goal that they scored, which was a very well worked goal, and a goal for a guy who is going to be needing to score when you're out, Fantilli, um, just doesn't count. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those where you're just kind of like. <laughs> Well, it's just how this weekend's going to be. Sort of like a Ohio University rebound put back to send it to overtime. <laughs> that play was that play merits its own podcast. <laughs> so in the third period, um, you know, 
again, Duke gets so this was a nice actually a nice play from Luke Hughes. And I wanna you know, we've I've ragged on him, we've both kind of ragged on him enough this year. He has a really great hold uh to start the third period, keeping the puck in the zone, getting to the center, getting a shot off, it goes off the end boards, comes back off the boards, and Duke is there to put in the rebound. Um I didn't think he got a lot of it, but he got enough of it, and it sort of slides by Bardo and get into the net, and it's four to two, and you know it's they're still going to need two more, but you're still you're still kind of in it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I kept saying every time they cut it to two, I said one more goal, and it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't get that. Well, they never they did, but after they gave up another one, another one. Uh, a power play. It, this was a weird goal, right? So it's it's four to two. Minnesota has a power play, and a shot comes from the tip of the house. I guess it hits Nyes. It is. It's deflected by Nyes. They give but, him credit for the goal, but somehow hits Portillo's blocker and goes up and over him and in the net. I was not allowed to see a replay, so I can't <laughs> say anything about it. So, but from a physics standpoint, your your blocker's got to be kind of open for it to hit and jump up and into the net, doesn't it? Yeah, but you can be like the you know like this, right? And then it just very visual podcast. Yeah, very visual. Podcast. Oh, like this, yeah. like this or like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not good at geometry either, so I don't know what, what angle. <laughs> I don't believe that for what a second. angle. No, it's true. What <laughs> angle to describe this at? But if it hits in a certain way, it can be kind of like a Hot Wheels ramp, right? Where it goes. Oh right yeah, right up. Where okay. it could be, you hit it and then just it just. So do you blame right him up. for that at all? Not really. I mean, it's deflected. There's a screen. Eh. Whatever. Even though it's off your blocker, I was a little harder on him. Maybe, maybe I was a little too harsh. Anyway, uh, five to two, um, and then Samo fires one from, I don't know, a great distance that gets through everybody, and including Bartow, and makes it five to three. Um, so Michigan, in the end, outscores Minnesota at even strength, three to two. They give up. The couple power play goals, they give up the extra attacker goal. They have a couple go- goofy goals in there. And they give up an empty netter. Oh, was it, oh, was it six to three? Six okay. to three, yeah. Ryan Johnson had one of those three-quarters of the length goals. Sure. Off of a pass from Luke Hughes, right? Uh, sort of. Yeah. It was a shot into, like, right to it. To his stick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, you kind of look at it and you think... Well, at even strength, Michigan kind of held their own. The problem is, is all their goals came when they were down by three goals. So is that score effects? Probably. Is it just kind of lucky in some ways? Yeah, or unlucky, I guess, in this situation. But, I mean, when you kind of take a step back from everything, Michigan didn't really deserve any points this weekend. They didn't play well enough in either game to even take anyone to overtime. If you can take the best of both games for Michigan, maybe you can cobble together uh, an all-star appearance of an overtime game. But, so... Losing six points is is not good, but given all the situations and then the way that everyone played from the top to the bottom of the roster, not that it was very big. There was a games. path there to get a win in the second game, and it's unfortunate they didn't get it, but they didn't get it because they didn't play very well. So That is a good summary of the weekend. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law, attorney and former prosecutor, Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com.
So I guess we'll look around the league, even though they're not going to be like positive results because Michigan is going to lose ground on probably everyone. That's what happens when you don't get any points. Um, we'll take a look at some of some, some old friends that played uh, Western split with Duluth. They lost five to four at home and then won five to three. Uh, not your older brothers, Duluth, but um I don't know. I guess a split again. I, I don't know. It's hard to like be dead on them because it just feels like teams do this and then they figure some things out. And at the end of the year, they'll probably be a three seed that no one wants to play. And Western had a split at home, which is probably not the worst thing. I I still don't know what's going on with Duluth, but do you, have they entered the echelon for you of like North Dakota did that for like a decade and a half? Where oh oh they're they're at five hundred or a little below. The only team I did that for is the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> Okay. Well, they don't play in college hockey. <laughs> last I looked, I don't even know if they have players that played in college hockey. I, you can't think of one off the top of your head. I'll get back to you. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so then, BU's another old friend. They played Northeastern, and uh, they got Levi in that in on the Friday game because they won two or Northeastern wins two nothing. But like, of course, he is heavily in favor of BU. Shots are heavily in favor, and it's actually 0-0 into the third when Northeastern gets two goals and beats them. But that's probably going to happen to a number of teams this year. Good thing Team Canada didn't play Devon Levi in the Olympics. <laughs> they played some random guy. Good thing that the Sabres didn't sign him. <laughs> but they won the next game, Boston U did. They did. 4-3 so they... in overtime. Yeah, so they they get a split because that's pretty much what everyone did, other than Wisconsin, who actually got a sweep over Lindenwood, four to three and five to one. So but what happened in the was it the Friday game? It was the four to three game <laughs> where I believe it was two two. <laughs> Lindenwood is gonna be called for a penalty, and so Wisconsin's gonna try to enter the zone because they have the extra attacker because of the goofiest rule in all of college sports where if you score on a power play, or before your power play, you still get the power play. So the guy's at the blue line on the left wing turns and is like, I think I'm going to drop it to a defenseman. But instead of like one of those drop passes what they that you see NHL teams do that just kind of like floats a little bit back into the blue line, he passes it. Turns out there are no defensemen there, and he finds his own net for like probably one of the dumbest own goals I've ever seen. Now, it's probably happened before. So you know what's funny about that, right? Well, there are many things that are funny about that. It is the second straight year Wisconsin has scored an own goal. In the same own, fashion? On their own empty net. Last year, it happened almost the exact 
to the day that it happened last year. It was they were in the offensive zone, and a guy tried to pass it to the point into an empty net, and it got past the point guy and went all the way down the ice. Was that a power play situation, or was that end-of-game situation? I believe it was end-of-game, but I don't remember exactly. So that's a little different, right? Because Either you're... way, it's extremely funny. Sure, it's funny. <laughs> you, you see it happening at the end of games because you're frantic, right? It's one thing for it to happen once. It's another thing for it to happen <laughs> twice. This one was just... <laughs> why? Also, why are you not entering the zone? The other thing that's funny is that last time it was against Minnesota. This time it was against Lindenwood, which <laughs> okay. makes it infinitely okay. funnier. They do. Lindenwood does blow the lead. Unfortunately, they don't get a win over Minnesota or over Wisconsin. Wisconsin does get their two wins. Um, Tony Granato lives to see he, another week. Another weekend. Do you think he'll live to see the Michigan series in two weeks? <laughs> are we are we putting eyeballs on him to make sure that no we've one... had we've had a camera outside his house <laughs> for a while. You're not supposed to admit that on the air. <laughs> now now I'm an accomplice. <laughs> uh, so the first of two relevant series in the Big Ten: Ohio State and Notre Dame. Uh, the first game. Ohio State wins five to two. Notre Dame. Another game where the Notre Dame Fighting Irish gave up five, five goals, goals or more, despite being up two to one in I think the second period, and they give up I believe a shorthanded goal, a power play goal, and an empty netter. So that's a lot of different kinds of goals. They're all only worth one goal though. But was it all to the same person? I don't think so. Okay, they were different people. Mario Lemieux's <laughs> feet stays intact. Another <laughs> is that one of his legs? Yeah, he scored. The, he was. I think he's the only one in NHL history to score five goals five different ways in one game. Yeah, wow, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't think that's going to happen again. But so in the second game, we get old school Notre Dame. Right? They win one to nothing because that's the most Notre Dame score possible. They're out possessed. Possessed. They're outshot, and then they get a goal. I believe in the second period, sometime. And they hang on for a 1-0 shutout. So they get the split in Columbus, which, you know, now it's kind of like if you're the road team, a split on the road is like, in this Big Ten? Okay, sure. Yeah, it's it's funny to me. Sands, Wisconsin. That's I'm, I'm going to put that caveat in. It's funny to me the way that Notre Dame alternates between either giving up five or the one nothing shutout. They're either vintage Notre Dame yeah. or they are horrible. And there's like yeah. no in-between this season. Well, we saw that. Pretty much, happen. yeah. So, I don't know. My my opinion on Notre Dame isn't really changing as a result of... No, because this. they're also, like, and we'll get to this in a little bit, they're also sort of down near the bottom with Michigan, and they're going to need to start making up points soon, but that's for... Lemieux uh, is the only player in NHL history to score five, five different ways. <laughs> Were you just looking that up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other series in the Big Ten was Penn State and Michigan State. Penn State comes back down 3-2 in the third period at home, to beat Michigan State four to three in the first game, um, and then the second game is the fun. second game is w- kind of wacky, right? It's it's an interesting game because Michigan State blows a three goal lead and still wins by four. Well, so they're up three nothing in the first, and then they give up three in a row. Still in the, the first. first, so it's it's three to three going into <laughs> I the second up, period. I pulled up that college hockey news box score at the end of the first and. My face could have been a reaction meme. <laughs> <laughs> did your did your headset pop off? <laughs> so I then, just wear the headset all day. <laughs> just walk around recording yourself. That's good. <laughs> um, so then they get, they score three more, and it's three zero, and then or or six three, and then they get an empty netter at the end, which is I don't know. Do you ever pull the goalie when you're down three? I mean, I guess teams do. Well, it depends on what time they did it. 
Yeah. If you're going to pull it with two minutes to go, don't bother. Yeah. But if you, you probably do it like seven or eight minutes. Yeah. yeah. If, especially I've if you have a power play or something. Sure. Yeah. So I think one of the takeaways here is that we don't really know who's good because everyone seems to be splitting. The, it, when we start talking about the standings, which I'll mention in, in a minute here or two, um, there are you know teams that are obviously a little bit better than others, but you're getting teams that are starting to play each other, and you're not seeing sort there's, of like a clear, divisive, even one or two. No, there's no real separation at the moment. No. And this seems like a every given uh, weekend type league like we've kind of been talking about. Which Big Ten West probably w- would be fine for Michigan, but I mean now you bring them in as to where how relevant they are, and they've played six Big Ten games, and they've straight up lost what three of them, and that's kind of the problem. Is it's it that's the bummer of it all yeah. is that you had to have this happen. Yeah. The flip side though is that it depends on what you're chasing because if this happens against Lindenwood or. Not London one. Lake State, let's go with them. Yeah. They're good enough they could have beaten Michigan if Michigan's half roster was half complete. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Might have been London. <laughs> I don't know. Either one. One of those let's say it, it, Western. It, because sure. of the way and we talked about this last week, because of the way the Big Ten played in the non conference, if you're focused on making the tournament, it's much better to have this happen in conference play. Yeah. Because it does it preserves everything. If yeah. it happens in the non conference against a team that isn't very good and you drop one of those games or you drop one and tie one, that's really bad for your pairwise resume. Whereas losing two to Minnesota sucks for the Big Ten standings, but it isn't really gonna hurt you for the tournament because that's a good team. And the Big Ten has been so robust in the non conference play right. that they're on pace to be a four or five bid league. So you're all right. Yes, I agree with that. The bummer for me, and maybe this is me me personally, but like, you know, we've had a Big Ten, what, eight or nine years now, and Michigan has yet to win it in the regular season. It would be, it's sort of like the the football thing that ended last year, right? Where you're like, we'd like to just win the trophy. Just at the end, we want to be the ones, hey, we were the best team in the Big Ten this year. Just once, at least. And and it it's... I mean, it's they're not eliminated by any means, but you're kind of going to enter... The Big Ten tournament is always more important than the regular season, so long as it fits my narrative. <laughs> and for hockey, I'm going to say the tournament's more important than the regular okay. season. So the standings <laughs> right now are Minnesota... So we can't... Teams play a different number of points, so you can't really judge points, so you have to do points per game. And so Minnesota is leading at 2.25... Michigan State's at 2.13. They're right there. I think they're like in reality like one point behind. Penn State's at two, still very close. Ohio State's at one and a half. Notre Dame also ahead of Michigan at 1.13. And Michigan is at one. They have played six games and they have six points. And that those came on a win at Notre Dame and an extra point against Notre Dame and two X and an overtime win, two extra points against Penn State. The pro- the unfortunate thing is that there's really not a lot you can do about what happened this weekend. It is what it is. Yeah, shouldn't have played those games, but so now you're just whatever. Now you're just in a hole, and it's a Eeyore situation. <laughs> there's nothing we could really do about it, but right. And um, it's just that you know they they're going to play Wisconsin in 2 weeks and they and, they but, got they got to get both those games and then they play Michigan State and, and then, so that, yeah there's a chance now to have a strong finish to the first half yeah get some bank some points get some momentum going and then you and know, then you're going to have to sort of not from a nationalistic perspective like the last few years but from a from a conference perspective you're going to have to win a lot of games if you're going to get back in the race 
We thought we fired Mel, but it's the same as the old days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> How man. many times have we said they need to win a lot of games in the second half? Way too many. So, so okay. uh, one thing I do want to say yes. about the they shouldn't have played thing. Uh, we're homers, obviously. But well, we are not. We are. We we're Michigan fans, sure. but I think we tell it like it is. No, no, I, I I get that. But what I'm trying to say here is that if you're on hockey Twitter, it was not just us saying this. When that the the I think Big Tex was the first to tweet out the line chart. Yeah. But when that happened, I saw like tons of accounts retweeting that. Like all these people, internet scouts, people who do not follow college hockey, and they and, and consensus across everyone was like, how is this game happening? Like all these Canadian writers, they're just like. What? They've got a goalie playing in the th- third line? Like, yeah. how is this a thing? So, obviously, it, we believe that it should not have happened, but a lot of very unbiased, intelligent people also think it should not have happened. I think that what I've gathered from bits from different people is that the thought was that they were, if they didn't play, they would have had to forfeit because Minnesota would have said, well, we're not coming back here. And then it's not our fault. So if you don't want to play, Brandon Norado has to buy us the plane tickets personally. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, that's a lot of plane tickets. So I think then the thought is, well, how many guys can we ice? Okay, this number. We might as well give it a shot and see if we can steal a point or two. And then that's better than zero. I mean, yeah. In that, if that is, if that is really the situation, and I don't know that for a fact. That's just sort of what I've kind of pieced together and what my logic brain says then i mean that's what you do right if you're if you're if you're faced with definitive losses versus yeah. well maybe we get lucky yeah you have you no choice try to get lucky yeah right yeah, yeah. so um now michigan is gonna maybe welcome in the best team on their schedule that they that they will have faced so far probably not but uh they certainly have the best numbers harvard is coming to town like you said last week the what, the Harvard of the East and the Michigan of the West? Or, or no, the Harvard of the West and the Michigan, Michigan of the East. East. Yeah. So Harvard is 7-0. and Harvard. Harvard. Yeah. Seventh We're in, not from Boston. So seventh that was... in, <laughs> we went to Boston. Yeah, right. We marched around Boston. Yeah, we were there, allegedly. Yeah. They're seventh in pairwise, which it's too early for you. And, and I get that. But every weekend we get a little bit closer. And, you know, what this tells me is they're not 61st in pairwise which will come up later. They're first in Corsi, which probably has something to do with who they've played. They're 29% on the power play. That's pretty good. They're 96% on the penalty kill. Like, what? Is that, can that be real? Would they like, they just probably haven't had many, I would guess, but uh, 96 is really good. 13 drafted skaters, which is many. That's in the Michigan, Minnesota, BU range. Yeah, I mean, Harvard, they've been a good program over the last number of years. They have not been a program that gets a ton of first-rounders. Matthew Coronado of the Flames, the only one on this team. But they get a lot of mid-round guys, and they've had a good track record at turning those mid-round guys into players. I know Curtis Blackwell, Curtis, Colin Blackwell, <laughs> uh, I think now of the Blackhawks. He was he went there, and then Fox uh, went there, right? Adam Fox obviously is their big one. He was like a third rounder. Kerfoot went there. There's a few more from this last little run that I mean they've. Veneers turned, was gonna go there. Correct. They've turned out some players. They're a good program. Um, they have some future NHLers, and again, this is kind of what we talked about previously last week. Is that um, 
when you're talking about talent in college hockey, there's only a few teams that are consistently producing true NHLers. Right. The real measure of how good you are as a program is how consistently you're turning out AHLers and ECHLers, mm. right? Or fringe NHLers. Or Liga players, SHL players, right? <laughs> okay. KHL players. Like, Any okay. non-NHL sure. league, right? If you are turning out... if you Professionals. Get, the teams yeah. with talent are really, outside of the couple fat cats, are the ones that get those third through seventh round picks and turn them into good four-year players. Then they play four or five years in a pro league and then they become a real estate agent. (laughs) Those are the players that determine whether you're a good program or not. Or a scout. (laughs) Sure. Or a Michigan hockey coach. Or a Michigan hockey coach. Um, Yes, you're right on on that. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. They have one pick in the first two rounds and then a few third rounders and then it's, you know, more mid to late. Um, throughout it. So not the high-end talent, but um, enough players that NHL teams said, yeah, you know what? With our later-on picks, you're worth a shot. They also have a couple legacies, right? Like Merrick Hayduke and... Merrick Hayduke. And who's the other one that I'm forgetting? Uh, it is Mason Langenbrunner. Oh, Langenbrunner, of course. Another De- Looks like a NHL stay-at-home man. defenseman. He's played seven games, zero points. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, they do have seven skaters that are over 0.75 points per game and five that are at one point per game or higher, which is a lot. Um, And they have good goaltending numbers. Now I took their team numbers because they've played seven games and used three goalies. One goalie played four games, one played two and one played one, but their, their goalie numbers are uh, the GAA as a team is 1.42, which is very good. And their team save percentage is 0.931. Also very good. So it looks like this is a juggernaut, and then comes the caveat, because I was like, well, there's got to be something, right? There's always a butt hidden somewhere. And then I looked at their schedule, and I was like, I wonder who they played. And I went down, and like none of the names jumped off the list to me, so I compared it to pairwise. And all of the teams are 35th or worse in pairwise, including... So, being, I think, 59, or 60, 61st, and 62nd, or 59, 60th, and 61st in pairwise. So part of that teams. is six of their seven games are ECAC games. And wow. so those ECAC teams, some of them may not have played many games either. They've played three of the IVs, four of the IVs, Dartmouth, Princeton, Brown, and Yale. But and they all, those, all didn't start. But I'm, all those teams are not. No, they're bad. Yeah. But the one thing about pairwise, what I'm trying to say here is that all of those teams, like Harvard, have played very few games relative to the country. Okay. And they've played mostly in conference, so thus they're not going to boost their... Like, it's hard to assess pairwise for a conference that hasn't really played outside itself very much. Okay. However, you are correct. In the general year, those four teams are very bad. And, you know... uh, (laughs) They also played Union. They also played RPI. I think... That was the one I was trying the to think The one of. non-conference game they've – or non-ECAT game is New Hampshire, right? Yes. That's a Hockey East team. That is. Um, also, and they're 0 and one in the Hockey East. Yeah, they're they're also you, not very good. Yeah. Yale is really bad. I think Yale is only the scored title six in 2014, goals. right? I, for some reason, I clicked on their schedule. They've played eight games, and I think they've scored six goals. They got shut out in five of six straight games. Wow. <laughs> That is impressive. I mean, this is what we talk about, right? This was the yeah. This was the QPAC thing. I am the resident ECAC hater. And a reason for that is that a lot of this league is just this. So when we look at Harvard, we look at Quinnipiac, the few teams with the pulse in that conference, it's really hard to get a grasp on who they are because so much of who they play is so bleak. And 
they have not played a consequential non-conference game yet. So this is... I don't know if they... I mean, Michigan. This is... Right. They play Michigan. And then they play in the Beanpot. Yes. And... And they play BU. And they play Northwestern. Or Northeastern. Northwestern. Well, that would be Eastern outside of... uh, Outside of the Beanpot. So... We don't get a we don't get to learn a lot about them, and we won't know a lot about them until they play Michigan. What we do know is they did make the tournament last year. Yep. They return and they slipped in. They weren't going to make it unless they won that uh, tournament, uh, ECAC tournament final against Quinnipiac. Yeah, they were a four seed, right? Yes. Yep. They were an auto bid stealer. Uh, they were the fifteen overall. Um, but they returned a lot of their players from last season. Mm-hmm. So I was high on them entering the year, and I haven't seen anything yet to make my opinion change. So. To me, this is still a pretty marquee weekend uh, mm-hmm. as a whole, and in their games that are going to be important help the Big Ten continue to have its very nice uh, non-conference. Well, and if Michigan record. is at full strength and plays reasonably well, I mean, Michigan is probably still a better team. Probably, yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that they may not lose one of the games, or you know, they may not be fully healthy in that regard. Even if they're playing, you know, there's always those sorts of caveats, but. Um, it's not like they do have players, but it's not like they're Minnesota where they're coming in with, you know, three first rounders and then four second rounders and seven seniors that are all probably going to be, you know, some sort of professional player and that sort of thing. Well, and they're really good players are older players. And that's an important thing just in general that they have experience, right? Like Mm -hmm. Henry Thrun, their defenseman is a senior. He was on, uh, the NTDP. I think that like the really good year with Tricot and Jack Hughes and all them. It's like five, that's like four years four ago. Years yes. ago he's, now, a, yeah. he's a senior. Um, they also have uh, Alex Laferriere, memorable for being in the same draft as Alex Lafreniere. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, it was Alex Lafreniere and Alex Laferriere. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a pretty good player. He's a junior. Coronado's obviously a sophomore. Sean Farrell, junior. He's a really good player. He played with uh, Owen Power at the Steel. And then um, John Farinacci, a senior, he's also a really good player. So their upper, their their main scores, their top three, four scores are juniors or seniors, except for Coronado, a lottery pick, who's a sophomore. So they're not really relying on a ton of freshmen. It's an experienced group. Um, Great. Yeah, no, I mean, this <laughs> another is one be of those. An interesting test, right? Uh, overall, you know the other big thing that happens this weekend, right? Is uh, that. This is the recruiting pitch because this is about the only team with which Michigan can sure. try to maybe see if you can get a transfer next year <laughs> because this is the one school yeah. that, that Michigan can really go to and say, hey, you know what? You can get in here. That is that is fair. Uh, one other thing to, to point out here, they're Chad Cat. Uh, they, <laughs> they have four goalies. They're Tyler Shea. Yeah. We have a new Tyler Shea. They have, they have four goalies. Three of them have played, and one of them is Chad Cat. Okay. Their Chad Cat is actually an Ann Arborite. I wanted to shout that oh. out uh, on the on the podcast. Did you like go to high school with him or something? No. Uh, his name is Max Miller. Um, he went to he went to Green Hills in town. Um, so just wanted to point that out. If, Local kid. If they happen to probably will not be on the trip. If let me just say this. Okay. If they happen to either be down seven nothing or up seven nothing, they should play him. I don't think you bring four goalies. Uh, Michigan should pay for him. <laughs> what? This is his chance to play at Yoast. I mean, undoubtedly, he played play. at Yoast as a kid, right? If they, if they happen to be up by a lot or down by a lot, let the kid play. <laughs> There's like 
more goalies than like defensemen <laughs> that are like warming up. It takes 15 minutes to get all of the goalies warmed up because there's if like you have seven a power of play, one of them has put to him stay out in the there line. for the power play, and then when the power play is over, you make a goalie change. <laughs> feels like this podcast is coming to an end. The only thing I wanted to say about Harvard is when you pull up their roster and you click on their player bios, they have height, weight, class, hometown, high school position, shoots, and then house affiliation, which is a physically revolting thing to read. I mean, like, this isn't the... Like Hogwarts or I was about to school. say, yeah. Like, this, get out of here with like, that. Is this like the get Harry Potter here. thing? Yeah, get out of here. Because this is where they live? You're not a British school. Stop this. <laughs> I mean... It's 2022. Aren't they about as British a school as there is in the U.S.? Uh, we'll let the listeners answer that one. Okay. you have anything more from this weekend or to preview next weekend, or are we done? Uh, what I'll say about it is that Saturday game, which I wish they didn't have a Saturday game. <laughs> I mean, just like we want to cancel the GLI, they should just not have a Saturday after Ohio State. Yeah. I had to work a Saturday after Ohio State one time. Oh, was that fun? Uh, no, it was not. <laughs> I can imagine it would be fun if you win, but if you lose... If you won, could you actually like pay attention to anything that's going on? Like, well, last I did year, last year. Last year, I didn't know what was going I on. I had it on a screen, and my eyes were watching it, but I was not actually processing anything. I think there the was game. like snow. I was just like delirious, so... <laughs> Now, it was 2017, we got beat by Ohio State in football, and mm, then we got nice. clocked by Ohio State in hockey, and that broadcast was, that was <laughs> brutal. One of the worst experiences. Hey, at least they were going to go to the Frozen Four that year. We didn't know it then. That's true. Thank you for listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.8 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week where we will either be very happy or very sad, and none of it will have to do with hockey. Mm-hmm.